1: That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That, that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, dot com slash iFanboy. You are listening to iFanboys Talks Plode with Brad Meltzer. This is Josh with IFanboy.com, and I'm here today with Brad Meltzer. Hi, Brad. Good to finally be uh, speaking here. Yeah, we we worked at, We worked on this schedule for a little while, but it but it worked out. Luckily, you're a professional. <laughs> As opposed to all the other people you deal with
2: that you've now insulted.
1: Well, you know, comics. <laughs> <laughs> I I know a lot of people in comics, and they'd be like, Yeah, no, he's not wrong. Um, which which brings me to the, the, there's a part. When I work with people who have, or when I talk to people who have worked with Chris Eliopoulos, we do a brief Chris Eliopoulos appreciation moment. I've, I've done it with others. Uh, and because uh, I, I believe uh, he is one of the greatest guys. And, and I, I saw that you, out of all the cartoonists in the world that you could have chosen to work with, uh, y- you started working on, on these great kids' books with Chris. How did, how did that come about?
2: You know, uh, the honest truth is this Twitter is a hellhole, Um, but (laughs) Twitter can also every once in a while bring happiness. And we met on Twitter. We just wound up following each other. I was doing the history channel TV show. Um, And we, obviously I knew his work. I loved his work. I'd bought Franklin Richards for my own kids. Mm -hmm. Um, But what happened was we were just history nerds. He really is a huge history note as as much as I am. And uh, my daughter, was just wearing lots of, you know, shirts with princesses on them. And I said, you know, I want to make a new shirt for her. I said, Chris, can you draw a little cartoon Amelia Earhart for me? This is a favor, you know? And he's like, yeah. And he draws a little, like little girl, Amelia Earhart. And I, I put it on a t-shirt. I wrote, I'm Amelia Earhart on the bottom and on the back of the shirt I wrote, I know no bounds. And I made it for my daughter. And my daughter was like, her friend was like, I want one of those. My wife was like, I want to wear one of those. And I'm not joking. That's how the book series really got started, because at one wow. point we were like, OK, we don't know crap about making T-shirts,
3: mm-hmm. but
2: we do know how to make books. And I I asked Chris because, you know, listen, any cartoonist thing works in comics. Anyone who does comics can do cute, can do funny. Um, the hardest thing to do is the heart. And yeah. what Chris Eliopoulos' superpower is, is he can just pull your heartstrings. And if you're going to do Abraham Lincoln and Rosa Parks and Dr. King and do a book series – to give your kid better heroes, mm-hmm. you better be able to draw hard. And so the whole I am series, you know, was launched from from that mutual love and nerdiness.
1: Oh, that's great. He, you know, he's
2: he's, he's also by, by the way, I just have to say, like the nicest person on the planet. And the best part is, is the more I say his name on here, the more he'll email me later and say, please don't talk about me, don't mention me, you don't have to do that. And it's just fantastic that just just even giving him this moment. Yeah. is gonna hurt him, and so therefore
1: I, I'm all for it. I just do it because every once in a while he puts me in a book, and I find that to be really fun. <laughs> he named yeah, a Star you know, Wars system so many, after right. me.
2: That's the thing is, he, right? He hides me in every yeah. I am book, right? I, yeah, I've um, seen you. My, I've seen so, Joe Caramagna.
1: But, I've seen them all.
2: Right, I was gonna say, but he has like Eric Larson's in there. Yeah. Like, there's like some deep cuts in there that if you don't know comics <laughs> and comic people, like everyone's looking for the 27 we hide in yeah. every book. We hide Superman in every book, unless you're a DC Comics lawyer, in which case that's totally not Superman or Clark Kent. Of course not. Um, but we hide all this stuff in every single I Am Kids book, but no one's going to find all the comic book creator cameos that Chris has put in over the years.
1: So I guess working backwards a little bit, you have written, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm reading up uh, about your career and, and there's a lot of different things. And so... I'm not going to get to all those things, nor do you probably want to go through all them, but I'm wondering what their connection is, or if, if you found it, moving into sort of doing the kids' books, it's not sequential art in the same way, but I'm wondering, you know, were they in, informed by your, your comics work that had come before them, in, in a way, or, or sort of, how did you decide to format those and build those?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, I know it sounds so silly, but everything is sequential art to me. It's mm-hmm. just, it's how I tell my, you know, when I, when I got hired on Green Arrow... Um, when Kevin Smith was leaving all those years ago and no one was doing comics but Kevin and they wanted to fill someone in, they announced me and Bob Shrek was like, you're going to fail on a big stage, you're going to succeed on a big stage because it's our number one superhero book. And I was like, I'll take a shot. And he's like, no one's going to know who you are in comics. So they announced me as a, as a thriller writer who was taking over Green Arrow. And someone went out and some comic reader, of course, was like, I read all of Brad Meltzer's novels where I think three, at the, three of them or four of them at the time. And he said, and I'm just telling you, everyone, like they read like comic books. There's a short <laughs> chapter and then there's a cliffhanger and there's a short chapter and there's a cliffhanger. And, and the funny thing was, is it was news even to me.
3: Mm-hmm. And I
2: was like, huh? Like I was like, and and to me, it's like that Mr. Miyagi thing. Like I was trained. That's what I loved were comics. And so I was trained reading 22 pages and a cliffhanger. And then I read another next month, 22 pages and a cliffhanger. So it just got drilled into me. It was like my, you know, waxing on and waxing off and painting the fence. Like, it was just what was built into me. So I still, even when it comes to the thrillers or the kids' books um, or even the TV shows, like a commercial Mm -hmm. is just a cliffhanger to me. Uh, It's all, I I write, and you can see my scripts from Green Arrow and Justice League or Identity Crisis. And you look at the scripts that I do with Chris Eliopoulos for the I Am books. They're the exact same style, the exact same things. They're all, I actually never call them books. I call them comics that are in hardcover. That's it. There's no there's no difference to me. It's just bigger panels, and, and you can see. I'll break down, you know, six panel pages. I'll just do it and say, "This is you know, we're going to do a nine panel like Watchmen." Mm-hmm. And he's like, "I got it. Let's go." So it just always has been informed that way.
1: So when you, uh, you know, I would say that the first time that I was aware of you was probably when you took over Green Arrow, and I, th- I I don't know if I think of you foremost as a comic book person, but I was looking at it, it wasn't really all that long of a period where you were sort of regularly writing stuff. Um, do, do you feel like you're still talking about it all the time, though? Because I, I, I feel like you're still very associated with comics, and I'm in the comics world, so that's how it's going to be, but...
2: Yeah, no, no, I mean, listen, I don't feel like I ever stopped writing, you know, I went yeah. I mean, I just have done a. It's weird because I, you know, I did. I mean, let's say it, right? I did Green Arrow for six months, and I did, you know, Identity Crisis, which you know took the better part of a year. I did a year on Justice League. Um, You know, I did a big bunch on Buffy, and then you know, between Action Comics, one, you know, or Detective Comics 27, they let me redo Batman's first story, um, or Marvel 1000, like. I just, you know, I have another one that I'm working on right now. I, I just can't stay away from it because it's my love.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, it's
2: just the thing I love. So, and and I know it's crazy. And we're celebrating like some like 15 years since Identity Crisis. And I'm <laughs> still at all my book events. There are people that are buying it and bringing it for me to sign, you know, obviously it's many old copies, but like a ton of new ones that people just are like, this is my, this is the first book I read that got me into comics. And, yeah. you know, it's only like a year old and I'm like, so it's you know I I can't anticipate that it's a sweet compliment but I you know I, I maybe I'm just that guy who just would not go away and I'm just lingering around the bar like a bad person.
1: Well, it's a fun place to be. Um, so when you sort of moved into doing Green Arrow, had you, I mean, had you attempted writing comic books before, like literally comic books, or was that sort of your first crack at a, at a full on comic book script?
2: No, I just no, I didn't. I literally wrote to like. No, right too. I I I Judd definitely sent me a script, I'm sure.
1: He'd been on Green and Arrow for a few years he, at that point, right? Or Green Lantern, I mean.
2: No, no, he hadn't started I was before him. He had been on Green really? Lantern. Right. He had been Green Lantern. Yeah, yeah. He he I always knew he was taking over, but they wanted they always wanted me to go first because they wanted an unknown after Kevin Smith. Huh. Bob Shrek said to me, if we replace Kevin Smith, the number one writer in comics right now, with someone who's in comics, everyone will scream, where the hell is Kevin Smith? Mm-hmm. They said, but if we bring you, who no one knows because you write novels, everyone will go, why is DC taking their number one superhero book and giving it to a guy I don't know? They must know something I don't know. <laughs> it was a total stunt. And he's like – and you'll, and, and, he, and that's what he said. He said, you fail on a big stage, you'll succeed on a big stage. Everyone's going to be looking at you. It's up to your writing. And, and I'm and like, was, I'll take a shot.
1: Right. Phil Hester was still drawing it at that point.
2: Phil Hester, the only yeah. thing I begged I – begged, I, when I started Green Arrow, yeah. I begged Phil Hester to stay, and I begged Matt Wagner – to continue on covers just yeah. so it would be seamless. And it was the truth was, it was my fear of if they saw it was something new, everyone would dump it. And mm-hmm. then Kevin, who's a, a sweet friend and I know for years now, did the nicest thing that anyone had ever done for me at that point in my career is they announced me in, in the press release. And he said in the press release it was something along the lines of like, I've read the book already and Meltzer, I can't wait to read more of it. It's great. And I hadn't even written the book yet. <laughs> and Kevin was just like, just looking out for another guy who knows what it's like to have all the pressure on him and everybody looking, mm-hmm. and that was friggin' amazingly generous. I thanked him on his own show about that in his own house about that, but I can't say it enough. He is just all class and amazing.
1: And did you, you know, how did you how how did you find that adapting to sort of the sequential story storytelling form? I mean, you you go from writing novels where you're describing a ton of things. You know, and you have perfect control over everything you see to a completely different format. And I've, you know, it is in my mind that I that comic book scripts are some of the hardest to write. In, in sort of that that format because you're all your artists are all taking things in a different way and there's lots of different ways to interpret it um you know, how did you adapt and, and and I say that with with the idea that there have been a lot of novelists who are very well known outside of comics who have come into comics, dipped their toes and left never to be heard from again um you know, but your stuff is still talked about even from the beginning which is no interesting. and I
2: appreciate that I know and, and listen I, I wish I could say oh, it was just easy and it all came mm-hmm. naturally because I'm so good at this it wasn't it was friggin. It was, you know, it was, it was, you have to take a hard look at yourself. And um, it was easy to write the story. I knew what the story was. I said to Bob Shrek at the time, he asked me to do the book. He waited in line at one of my events. He was the last person in line. And I'll never forget, he said to me, uh, Would you like to take over Green Arrow? (laughs) Last person in line. And I said, looked up at him, I said, I've been waiting my whole life for someone to ask me that. Because I've been hiding comic references in my novels Mm -hmm. for over 20 years. Like before comics were cool and everyone's like, Oh, they're all great. I mean, if you look at my first novel, the Supreme court justices on the Supreme court are all named after the Watchmen, And only the super nerds were getting like, you know, Osterman and Veet and all these other names. Like they, <laughs> no one knew back then what I was doing. Like, it was like, if you came up to me and said to me, I was like, okay, we're friends. You get what I love. Let's be, you know, let's hang out together. Like that was it. There was no internet even to like tell anybody. And so you just had to catch it and get it. Mm-hmm. And Shrek asked me, and I said to him, listen, I'd love to do this for you. I said, but if I do it, I don't just want to do it so I can say I did it. I said, I only want to do it if I can come up with a good story. So give me a couple months and let me see if I can come up with a good story. And I called him from book tour. I remember I was backstage about to be announced on, and I was like, I got an idea. <laughs> and I told him the idea. He's like, I like that. It was exactly what Archer's Quest wound up being. And I was like, you know, there's a guy, at Oliver Queen's funeral after he's dead, and there's a picture of him, and we don't know who he is, and this is what's going to do. And I told him the whole thing, and he's like, write it up. And, mm-hmm. and the hardest part of cracking the script, the script was like fine. I, you know that that wasn't the hard part. The hard part was learning how to shut up, because mm-hmm. as a novelist, I paint the whole picture with words. Everything that you get to see, I have to pick some permutation of words to make you visually see what's happening on that page in the thriller. Um, you know, if someone's nervous, I got to say, you know, he's, he's tapping his leg. He's You know, playing with his keys, he's fiddling with his biting his nails. I can figure out whatever I want to say to tell you he's nervous, but I got to tell you, I got to show you. Mm -hmm. And in comics, I don't got to say Jack. I can literally say, you know, in panel one, there's Superman. You know, full shot iconography of the big S, and you see his smiling face. Panel two, pulling closer on Superman. So we're just aiming toward the spit curl. Panel three, there's a bead of sweat rolling down Superman's forehead. Panel four, the bead of sweat. We're pulling so tight on it we're just on the beat of sweat panel five. We're so tight on the beat of sweat. We can see in the reflection of the beat of sweat, who Superman is talking to. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And I haven't said a single word and you know, Superman's nervous, right? Mm -hmm. I haven't said, I don't have to say a word. I can just let whoever it is, draw, draw it. And and the super nerds will say, well, Superman doesn't sweat. And I would say the same, but I don't have to say anything. And that's what I had to learn to do is when I was, you know, I, when I wrote my first script, Phil Hester, I think wanted to kill me because I described everything, the Mm -hmm. angle the layout of the page. I was going to ask. It's, it's a worm's eye view looking up. It's a view from the top going down. Every panel I do the full description on. And then finally, Phil and I kind of learned. I learned to like, you know, he learned to basically do one thing, which is ignore my ass.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and this Rags Morales does the same. It's like you eventually have to get in that groove with your artist where they stop listening to you. And they listen to you when they think you have a good idea, and if you don't have a good idea, they do their own thing. And those were the best pages have always
1: come from. Mm-hmm. Did you did you learn like did you did you uh, curb that response to do sort of the Alan Moore script pages in the beginning to sort of later you know l- let the artist do what the artist does?
2: You know, I'm still a pain in the ass. <laughs> I, I, would, I would lie. I, I should say to you, I have learned so much in my years of doing this. No, like I'm still the person who over describes everything, but I definitely pull back not as much as I used to. Mm-hmm. I don't do the full Alan Moore, but I can't help it. I'm a novelist. That's what I yeah. do. Like, um, so, but Chris and Elio and I, I mean, we have now, we've done 19 books together in this series. Wow. Like we have a shorthand for each other and it's always comics. Like it'll literally be like, I'm trying to think of the most recent one we were doing like Leonardo da Vinci. And I'm like, okay, I want him to be like, He's inventing lots of things in this palace So I want like a Carmine Infantino, like after effects. So you can see him going like in five different places. Like, and I don't have to say it's like the flash. He knows he's got it. I just write Infantino effect. And he's <laughs> like, we know our mutual language of comics is what always informs these kids books.
1: How do you get yourself in the space when you're doing a kid's book to keep it, interesting enough and not too dry you know if you're if you're a history nerd then the dry stuff can be really interesting but you've got to sort of pull back you sort of start with a, a larger chunk and then whittle it down which is a lot like comics now yeah, that I think about it you know
2: it. I mean there's a there's a looking for like the good nuggets is like the Supreme Court definition of pornography mm-hmm. which is you know when you see it yeah um, I know when I see the good story and and I know one thing I've learned one thing over these you know years is I'm not that special Mm -hmm. And if I like it, hopefully there are enough people out there who are just like me and they're going to like the same thing. And I think the only thing that I've been lucky enough to do is to have kind of a, a, you know, I think, I don't know, I've just, you know, the things that I've found, people have come with me and I appreciate that. Like, I I always feel like there's a we out there. There's like this journey of people who like that same stuff I like. Mm -hmm um and i know for people in comics like we know what that's like like so many of us know what it's like to be the only person in your school who likes comics except for maybe one other person you know and now we can all find each other on the internet but but many of us grew up and it was you couldn't find anybody you had to go to the comic store to find somebody and you were there on fridays when it used to be a friday poll day and we were there on wednesday when they switched to wednesday like you (laughs) know what it was like to try and find your people Mm -hmm. and for me it's a long-winded way of saying like, that's what I look for. I look for those things that I like. And I just know there are other people who are like me who like that stuff. Um, But it's hard. I mean, these are the most amazing heroes. Um, But like, you know, I, I can tell you, I also learned in a very humbling way. I taught my daughter, you know, the whole series started with Amelia Earhart and I Mm -hmm. told my daughter, you know, isn't Amelia Earhart amazing. She, she flew across the Atlantic ocean. And my daughter's like, big deal, dad, everyone flies across the Atlantic ocean. (laughs) But if I tell my daughter, um, I told her the story, and this is true, that Amelia Earhart, when she was seven years old, built a homemade roller coaster in her backyard, that she took a wooden crate and put roller skating wheels in the bottom. She shoved it to the roof of her tool shed. She got up and climbed up onto the roof, gets in the crate, comes flying down the side, down these you know, big, giant pieces of wood and flies through the air. And that was the first moment Amelia Earhart ever flew. She was seven years old. She said that feeling of her stomach bottoming out from under her, she wanted that feeling back again. And now my daughter's like, dad, tell me more about that person. Mm -hmm. And I just got dumb lucky that my daughter was like, that's what I like. And that's what we realized, like, you know, no one cares about what year they won the battle of blank, whatever it is. But what we care about are those moments where they're just like us Mm -hmm. and the human moments. And that's what I I don't ever care about. They sign this, you know, document on such and such date and then they pass this law. And who cares? Nobody cares. But you find out that Abraham Lincoln loved turtles and loved <laughs> animals, or that you know Amelia Earhart built a homemade roller coaster, or that you know Jackie Robinson got into a rock fight with you know a, a family across the street when he lost his temper as a little kid, and suddenly these people who were these magnificent and and same thing with superheroes, you know these these big kind of lowercase G gods that we build these statues to and worship at them, you know it's silly like the. The best part is actually that they're all like us. Yeah, those are the moments I always go for. I always go for the human moment, and and not because I'm like it's marketing or a thought or that's what people are going to like. It's just what I think is more interesting. I don't care about any of the other parts. They're boring to me. I care about those moments where they were scared and they were terrified and they were just like us.
1: So, what were your favorite comics when you were when you were growing? Like, what are the things that really spoke to you? Like, for a lot of people, there's every a lot of especially a while ago people. Kids read comics. Everybody did, but there were certain of us who, you know, read something and went, "Oh, this is this is really speaking to me." And then there's a moment where you realize, "Oh, this is, this is a, an art form that is more than the sum of its parts." You know, was there a book that sort of stuck out to you where, you know, th- that made an impact on you to make you stick with it for longer, to be more involved with comics in your life?
2: Yeah, I mean, listen, Justice League was was it that was that was the first one. That was uh-huh. like the thing that made me lose. I mean, it was the first. My first comic that I ever got as a gift was a Marshall Rogers, Englehart, Batman, Detective Comics. It was a laughing fish Joker cover. Yep. Where the Joker has those like Laughing Fish and it just scared the crap out of me. I was too young. <laughs> I'd to be like I looked at the math on it. I was like six or seven years old. It just scared the piss out of me. Um, and I never read it. I had it, but I never read it. But the <laughs> first comic I ever read was Justice League of America one fifty. It was at one fifty, so it was like a big, you know, kind of like, yeah. double, like it seemed like a bigger issue back then. All the fifties and hundred issues were big, um, and it was the the Justice League was fighting the Key, and the villain, the Key. And there's this one page that I remember looking at, and and they're all in these kind of key shaped prisons, like keyholes. Mm-hmm. So Superman's standing in a giant, oversized keyhole, all kind of super silver agey stuff, like, and you know, and Flash is in a giant keyhole, and elongated Man is in a giant, and they can't their powers don't work on any of their prisons. So like your green Lantern was yellow and flashes, we vibrated at a different, so we couldn't get speed. And I was like, I remember thinking, Oh my God, how are they going to get out of that? <laughs> and the way that they got out of it was, and again, uh, like just look at like the history of it, like the elongated man, Ralph can't get out of his, but he can move over. Or no, Flash can't run is what it is. Flash can't run out, but he can vibrate to someone else's. So He vibrates over to Ralph. Ralph can't stretch out, but he can form into a, like a giant um, like rubber band. So he becomes the floor of what becomes a cosmic treadmill for the Flash. And basically Green Lantern has to like get them over, uses his ring, not on him, but on them. And anyway, they start running. And how do they get out? They work together. Mm-hmm. That's the answer. You work together. You stand together. That's how you get out. You, you are all weak in one way, but together. And I remember just as a nine, eight, nine-year-old kid, my mind was blown. That yeah. was it. I went in every Justice League forward from there. I started trying to buy. I not much money, but the comic store back then, it was just a bookstore that had comics too, was um, you can get a 25 cents a comic where you can get uh, five for a dollar. And I would get a $5 allowance every week. And I would go down to the comic store, and I would say, here's my $5, and I would take my books back, and I would just – but the one and, – and that's where I started it. But sure. the one that really made me go like, this is an art form, was, uh, was, was Marv Wolfman and George Press's Teen Titans. Mm-hmm. And that was where I was like – I missed it. I, it. When it came out, I just missed it. I, I paid – I remember saving $5 to buy um, – to buy the first issue. I had to save up to buy it. And I remember thinking that was more money than I ever had in my entire life. It was a full $5, I'm sorry, $15 to buy the first issue. It was DC Comics Presents 26 and Teen Titans 1, and it was $15 each for each one. Took me like, I couldn't tell you, like, it felt like forever to get it. But that's when I remember being like, this is, these are characters with depths, and they have backgrounds and they have loves for each other. And they were human. They weren't superheroes, but they were human. and. That is the most influential thing, those two books on me, along with Legion of Superheroes. And then, of course, and then the whole cascade comes, right? You get X-Men, you get Avengers, you get, yeah. you know, I, and then you start following people. Like, I remember being like, George Perez brought me over to Avengers and Justice League together. I was like, this guy's amazing. What's he doing? He's the same guy, I think. <laughs> and, you know, realizing Marv Wolfman was a name that was a writer. He wrote on this book. And, man, I like this guy, Len Wein. He seemed, I like his stuff, too. and And just finding, you know, whether it was Keith Giffen and Paul Levitz on Legion or, you know, that's who I just started. And then obviously John Byrne and Claremont on on you know on Fantastic Four and X Men. Uh, but those are the books that just kind mm. of unlocked it all.
1: When you started making comic books professionally, was there anything that you learned about the craft that made you appreciate it in a different way or sort of approach how you how you read them?
2: Uh well, oh, those are two questions and i'll answer let me give you both so sure. the first one is definitely like just the just the sheer kind of the last one first is like you know just the ridiculous things you don't think about like mm-hmm. right like big crowd scenes are a pain in the ass to draw and this artist may not want to draw it right and you're like <laughs> what do you mean that no, you just dream up whatever you want and it'll be done Horses. you realize it like right all right whatever you want right like and you know, and then there's also like fun things like when I work with Ed Bennis on Justice League, Ed Bennis just loves drawing women's asses. He loves it. I can't. You know, he just does. He's good at it. That's what he does. That's his magical move. But I don't want to have women's asses drawn in every scene. So I would like in the script, keep writing like and then Wonder Woman comes in. Do not draw her ass here. Like, and then Black Canary comes in. Don't draw her butt here. Do not like we don't want a butt shot here. And, you know, you just learn what people do and what they, you know, and, and you're trying to like, that's just hysterical to me. Um, and then to your first question, I think what I also really learned is just, again, the humbling side of it. Um, and I and I will give full credit to Rags Morales on identity crisis. Um, it was a big moment where um, Sue Dibney is found dead by Ralph. And I just had written like, you know, half a page describing how, it should be a camera on the floor, worm's eye view looking up. So we feel Ralph so towering over us and suing his arms. And I had this kind of like extreme version of like Supergirl's, you know, Justice League mm-hmm. 7 cover. I mean, uh, Christ on Infinite Earths cover, like cradling Supergirl's dead body. Like I had all this envision in my head. And, um, and Rag said to me, this is, you know, listen, how about I draw it my way? And if you don't like it, I'll draw it your way. And I was like, of course, whatever. Give it a shot. And back then it was there were no, no JPEG. It was just, you come through your fax machine. And so I was standing by my fax machine and his version came through and it was from the camera up top, looking down at Ralph and Sue. And I saw the picture and I called him up and I said, your way. Mm-hmm. And I just learned right there, like, you know, you're working with professionals uh, and DC has always given me and Marvel too, the best artists that exist in comics. Um, and you learn to just shut up and let them do what they do because um, you don't they don't need your you know your jibber jabber
1: did your idea of who sort of your favorite artists or the most talented artists kind of change and I, I'm not asking you to name names I used to like so and so but now I like but I, I found that the more that I've learned about comics the more i appreciate the small like like i can say that there's there's pinup guys and then there's there's storytelling guys and i love storytelling guys i think somebody like a like a Stuart eminent or something is just he's the most amazing storyteller and that's sort of one of the things that i always there's a, there's a lot of little things like that but it, it's yeah, the part I, of the craft say, that Stuart i love
2: Erman, i don't think in his legion days i ever appreciated him as much as i did in his later marvel work yeah. like he definitely became that's, a per, that's actually the perfect person um, yeah. You know, the big people that I always loved, I still love, sure. you know, I just do. I always will. I mean, if you look at Justice League Zero, um, we did this this zero issue and it was one page was a different I wanted a different artist on every page. And each one was a different kind of era. Um, and obviously we hired the era from where they were. But I also in between each era, we would flash forward to things that hadn't happened yet. And you can see who I loved, whether it was Tony Harris whether it was Jim Lee, I mean, these are not hard, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, there's no bold person saying, oh, I like Jim Lee, like, no shit, yeah. <laughs> in the club, um, you know, but you can see in there who I love, and, you know, and, and it's a list from, you know, uh, Gene Ha or, um, I mean, anyone that's in that book was who I loved at the time. That was just, those are my favorites, and they're still my favorites. Like, Gene Ha is I think the Gene best. Ha, I, I just, I, again, I, I've worked with him, I you know, I've worked with him, I won an Eisner Award with him, sure. like, thanks to him. Um, but anything I can do, like Gene Ha is just an, and in fact, he is the person, this is what I appreciate. Here's the better answer to your question. I was sitting with Gene Ha for dinner. He came to Florida and we go out to dinner and I work with him on multiple books, but I'd never met him face to face. And he says to me, as we're sitting through dinner, just as we're kind of getting to the end of it, he says, you know, I'm so happy that I finally got to meet you face to face. It tells me so much more about you. And I was like, what are you talking about? I know you this whole time. And I realized, and he goes and he starts listing all these physical things that I do that I don't realize I do. And it taught me in that moment, he sees the world as an artist differently than I see the world as a writer. Like he just physically sees different things. And Chip Kidd is the same way. Great graphic designer who people know from, you know the Jurassic Park logo to my first two books i mean i've worked with him on the on batman and other things but chip sees the world differently like you and i see a stop sign and it's a big red you know octagon with you know the letters s t o p in it and chip kid looks at that same exact thing and sees the greatest representation of graphic design ever created that in any language can tell you what to do he just views it differently mm-hmm and I, I that's what I've learned about artists is like they they look like their art, they act like their art. they become it in a way that when you get to know them, it completely informs like how they can do what they do. And the big ones are you know this will be a gross generalization, but <laughs> you know some of the biggest ones that are great at the splash page just have big personalities. they just do, and <laughs> the, you know the quiet ones, like Gene Hawes just a quiet guy, but man, he will painstakingly work on a tiny little nine-panel grid like nobody's business and have details in it, you will never, ever, could have never been in your script, but he will pull out.
1: Um, I've never gotten that it, answer it, before. It, That's it, a good answer. <laughs> you know, but it's true. Yeah. Um, the, looking back at Identity Crisis, I think we're living in a different world than the one that we were when it came out. Um, it's pretty hardcore. It's pretty raw. It's definitely taking after the sort of comics as a dark place you know that that you know started in 86 really and kind of permeated throughout do you think you would approach that the same way today and and you know you've also probably changed a lot during that time you've had kids you've done through a bunch of things like would you see comic books in the same way that you tell a story like that
2: yeah listen i you know i can't possibly nor do i ever want to go back and redo my own work sure right um I always will to a stubborn level stand behind what I put out there. It's like, that's what I had to say at the time. However, as someone smarter than me once said, anytime someone says, I don't like something you did, I can't help, but say, maybe they're right.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I can't help it. You know, I just do. I feel like that's how you get better as an artist is like, you have to take the negative as not just take the positives. Um, you know, so So I think we could have pulled off that, you know, a storyline that had a rape like that in it. Like it's a different world we live in. Okay. Mm -hmm. At the same time, um, you know, I wish rape did not exist in our culture. uh, And, but to say that our medium can't deal with the issue or can't ever approach it or talk about it is to limit our entire medium. Uh, And I still believe that I feel like you, you know, you have to take the hardest issues and, and whether it's, you know, a great comedian or a great artist or a great writer or, or a great painter or anyone, like, the job is to take the ugliest parts of us and kind of make us look at them and try and understand them, even when we don't, even when we hate them. Mm-hmm. So it's a complicated question you're asking. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and, you know, like, it just is. But, you know, I just feel like the one thing we should never do is limit what the medium can tackle. Mm-hmm. I just don't. I'll never be in favor of that. But you know, I have to look at it and say, you know, listen. I, it's still the number one thing that you know. You have people who hate it, and people who will come up to me and say, over. I mean, on a reg, go on Twitter. In fact, today on Twitter, every <laughs> nearly every single day on Twitter, there is someone who tweets at me and says, this book, Identity Crisis, is the reason I read comics today. So I know that there's negative out there. I know that there's positive out there. I don't think for one second that all the positive are right. I don't think for one second, you know, Mm -hmm. I learned early on in my career, um, you know, just because someone says something great about you doesn't mean you're great. And just because they say it's terrible doesn't mean you're terrible. Like the worst thing my agent once said to me was that anyone can say about you is it was okay. You know, like that you had no impact on someone. So to me, you know, I, I, I'm still trying to, you know, find whatever truth I can in it, but it, it, it clearly, clearly um, hit people in, in, in some places. And I think that as a culture, um, you know, I think the best comics today are the ones that are hitting our, our cultural sweet spots. You know, mm-hmm. they just are. And and back then, I think we were dealing a lot after 9-11 with fear mm-hmm. and, what, and, and whether our heroes were going to be strong enough and what was going to happen to those we love the most. That was just a big issue back then. We just watched 9-11 happen, and, and we started worrying about everyone around us. At any moment, they could be gone. That's what Identity Crest was always. The, the heart of it was Dan DiDio coming to me and saying, after 9-11, you know, we, we were scared about people in uniform. We need that feeling back again. And, um, and, and can you give it to us? And that's what we were after. I mean, I think what Tom King has done with Mr. Miracle, as, a, as just an example— like mm-hmm. as one thing that I think is perfectly speaks about the culture. We're a culture of just real anxiety right now. We're a culture that is battling like anger and divisiveness and, and even even battling over what's real and what's not real. It's the perfect book for the time.
3: Mm-hmm. Right.
2: It just it speaks to those issues and it has a lot of, you know, amazing things in it. Um and I I think that those, you know, we always want to have art that tackles where we are as a culture. Mm-hmm.
1: So you're still reading current stuff, it sounds like <laughs>
2: Oh yeah, no. I, I mean, I. I mean, one. It's easy because I'm on the comp list. But sure. I mean, you, know, you could never. Even if I wasn't, I still have a pull list for whatever I'm not on the comp list for at my comic store. I still go. You know, I, I wind up. You know, you can't keep me away. I can't. It's what I love to read.
1: Mm-hmm. Say anything. What What's blown you away over the past couple of years? Like, what's been sort of some of the greatest um, comics you've read?
2: Well, my favorite. Let's see. What have I read that I really love? Um. I love, I mean, listen, I was just, I love Mr. Miracle, as you can tell by that. Oh, yeah. and I think Tom's, you know, and I, I think Tom's, you know, the world of him, I think is Batman is is the defining Batman of, you know, of uh, no one's, no one's touching it. Um, it is, it's, it's fantastic. Um, I love, listen, I, I mean, I love the obvious things. So like, I, you know, I still love anytime Brian Vaughn, you know, listen, Brian's a pal, but I still love saga. I'm still pissed. And I want him to come back to it every month. <laughs> I can't help it, you know? Um, cause I think that, Fiona you know, Staples is like, does magic on a page. Like, I just can't wait to see it. Um, but I love, I love, um, what that book. what is it? Um, uh, gosh, it's, um, Xander Cannon's book. It's like, uh, I'm always going to pronounce it wrong. I'll never remember it. It's, um, about the monsters on the Island. That
3: I book?
1: can't think of it. No, it's like I know.
2: Kirjo. Kier- uh, K- hold on. I'm going to, I'm going to pronounce it incorrectly and then I'm going to be really bad. It's called um, Kaiju Max. Kaiju okay, Max. I right. I love that right. book. Right. It's like a monster. It's like Oz meets like Godzilla monsters. Like mm-hmm. all these monsters on islands on a prison, and he's doing like Oz instead of doing, you know, Japanese monsters. That's a really dark, awesome book. Um, what else am I loving? Uh, I, you know, what I love right now? I love Matt Fraction's Jimmy Olsen.
1: It's so I good.
2: I love that book. That it's book is so, so good. Fun. It is so like, I was like, Jimmy Olsen, really? Is that going to be fun? Like, is, But he's. I love that book. I can't wait, obviously, uh, for Bendis' Legion. You know, yeah. I know, like, I, I count the Legion nut. I can't wait. Um, you know, I read, obviously, everything. I mean, you name it, I read it. But yeah. I'm trying to think what's really blown me away. Oh, I love, um, I have never pronounced his name right, Jeff Lemire. Um, That's right. Black Hammer. I yeah. love that book. That book is freaking amazing um and i like mark miller i still like magic order i think you know as with everything there are titles you like better than others but i thought magic order was like as you know as good as he's done in so long
1: yeah um he he went on a real good run over the past yeah big chunk of years like his comics have been great i think
2: he like i think netflix can you know that could have easily gone the other way and been like okay i can just phone it in now and he Mm -hmm. just he found he found another gear. Hundred percent. So I like that. Um, what else do I really love? I mean, I love Judd's Hilo. I think, you know, if you're looking for something for your kids, like, listen, I'd love you to read I am Walt Disney, but Hilo is freaking amazing. Um, um
1: My kids love... read both, so it's fine.
2: There you go. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's good. So uh, you know, uh, I am Walt Disney is dedicated to Judd.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I've I've had yeah. I've had Judd on here, I've had Chris, I've had all of them. So um no, I like Judd a lot, uh, as a person, as I'm sure you do as well. Um I guess as as we wrap this up, because I know that you've got to get going, you know, was it? In, I know that the way that uh, that Bob Shrek approached you was probably not expected, but was it in your plan to write comics, or or, or did you hope that to be a thing, or did it sort of to be that be cool? But it came out of the blue, you know. Was did you did you aspire to it?
2: You know, the funny thing was is back, then, not to go all old man on it, but like back then in those olden days, like you just. <laughs> You stayed in your lane. You were supposed mm-hmm. to stay in your lane, right? Like if you wrote thrillers, you wrote thrillers the rest of your life, and if you wrote comics, you wrote comics the rest of your life. If you wrote movies, you wrote movies the rest of your life. Like you, you know. I remember reading. I remember when, um, what was his name? Uh, the guy who wrote the Dark Knight screenplay. Um, okay. The original, not Dark Knight. uh the, the original Batman movie. What was his name? Bob. Uh,
1: um, the he writes all the all the movies now right um, right the, yeah he co-wrote starman he tom i'm trying to think oh gosh i'm blanking on his name two men like in the their 40s can't figure out words
2: i know i know i can't <laughs> do it but anyway everybody the, listening knows the, who we mean. the screenwriter mean. the screenwriter everyone listening is now like i know they're at the thing i know but the guy the screenwriter of, of tim burton's batman movie i remember came and wrote like an issue of batman and we were like what Mm-hmm. he's a screenwriter and he's going to come and down to us and deal with us regular people. This is going to be the best issue ever, you know? And I don't think it, I don't, that was like, the, you know, that it was a one-time thing. And so I'd never thought, Oh my gosh, I'm going to write comics. I can't wait to write comics. I just didn't know if I was going to be able to. And I remember when Shrek asked me, I immediately said, yes. And all the, all the novel people and all the writers were like, why are you doing that? Why are you slumming in comics? Mm-hmm. And I was like, go fuck yourself, man. This is the <laughs> best medium of all. And, and I remember they announced it at, at Book Expo, and I was on a panel with uh, Walter Mosley and Janet Ivanovich, like two far bigger writers than mm-hmm. me. It was like my start of my career. They were on the panel. I was like, how did I get on this panel? And they announced it in my intro, like right there at the event. Um, and, and I remember uh, Janet Ivanovich leaned over to me and said, oh, man, I really like Wonder Woman. And then Walter Mosley leaned over to me and said, screen arrow, man does he still have Speedy? And I realized <laughs> in that moment that it was like, there was this entire underground of people that all loved the crap we loved at the level we loved it. And suddenly I became like any novelist that, you know, for a lot of them, I can't take credit for all of them, but like, especially in those early years that wrote comics, it was because I, they were coming to me and I was secretly bringing them to DC and Marvel <laughs> and making introductions. Cause I was like, listen, I was like the drug dealer. I was like, first one's free. And then you know where to come for the rest, you know? And like, <laughs> I would just make connections because I wanted everyone to do it. And, and that was how I got into television. Is they were like, you know, novelists and comic writers didn't do their own history television shows for the History Channel. But I was like, why not? Why can't I? Um, and, and they said yes, so I tried. So now you see a lot more jumping. But, I, yeah. you know, back then you just didn't think of it. Um, it just wasn't – I obviously wanted to. When I met Shrek, I was like – I would talk comics with him. I met him at Judd's wedding. We talked comics to no end. But Shrek is like one of the best talent –
1: He's like one of the best talent finders that I've, that I've known in comics. I just think if you think of all the great people, period. He, totally, uh, he's one of the, but he brought uh, all his, his of these great people. Sh- it's staggering. amazing. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, I know that you have to get going. Um, thanks so much no, for, thanks for taking the time, so much, man. No, I appreciate it. And, and
2: let me just also say, I just want to thank every person in comics who has kind of like jumped over. I can't tell you how many people are like, listen, man, I don't really read novels, but I gave the book a lie mm-hmm. a shot because it was about the creation of Superman, or I gave the escape bars a shot, or I read it to my, I'm now by the kids books. I, you know, I watched the show, like the, the comic book reader, you know, all of us who grew up in that way, um, we are among the most loyal people on the whole planet. And I hope, you know, that loyalty goes back right to you. And and just want to say thank you to every single person who supported us, whatever, whether it's the thrillers or whether it's the nonfiction, or whether it's the kids books, it, it means more than I can never express. So
1: thanks for that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, brother. And that wraps up another Explode. I know this one was a little bit late, but I hope it was worth the wait for everybody. I want to thank Brad, obviously, for taking the time. Um, <laughs> I don't have to tell you, he's a pretty busy guy with a packed schedule, and uh, I, I really enjoy talking to him. Uh, you can go to bradmeltzer.com. You can go uh, to twitter.com slash bradmeltzer uh, and find him in those ways. And, of course, you can go to ifanboy.com, and you can find more of our shows, more of our podcasts, all of the other uh, interviews that I have done in the past, and other people have done, too, because I'm not the only one who's done the for ifanboy.com. And thanks again to the patrons for making this show possible, and uh, you can do that at patreon.com slash ifanboy if you want to get involved with those things. Thank you very much. Talk to you later.